listening to Dave and Dia, a podcast about basketball, life, and the Portland Trailblazers. Please keep all hands and arms inside the window and welcome your hosts, Dave Decker and Dia Miller. That's right, Blazers fans. Here we are. It's Dave Deckard along with the brightest, newest, most wonderful voice that our site has, except for maybe Joe Moore and Corey Randall and all those other people we also have. But it's the one who stepped up to podcast, the one and only Dia Miller. Dia, how are you doing today? You know, I'm alive. That's about as well as I can say for today. <laughs> it's been a day. You and the day. Sacramento Kings both. <laughs> I mean, that's you're you're in the Sacramento Kings zone there. Definitely yeah. not Trailblazers. Yeah, I no Trailblazers are are feeling good today. They are not feeling like they cut caffeine out of their diet after. 12 years. <laughs> no, they got a huge injection. I mean, it's amazing. We go from, and I did not predict this. I will admit it. I thought that they were ready to ride it out, but we got what we should have had in 2016. It was a little late, but better late than never. And Blazer fans are just over the moon with their team right now. Yeah, I don't think any Blazer fans expected this. You know, we touched on this last time a little bit that I think as Blazer fans, you kind of get used to riding it out and expecting nothing because they're just rarely are there big moves made. Neil just kind of likes to cruise through and play it safe and stick with what's familiar. And so we don't see these big blockbuster moves made very often. And I think, you know, when that first move was made, everyone was just a little floored. And then all of a sudden it was like, boom, boom, boom. Here we go. We are going to make a run for it. Yeah. I mean, they heard the voice, the winner and new offseason champions of the world, your Portland Trailblazers. And everybody just went crazy. Truly, truly, like I know that they're talking about the winners of the offseason because, you know, we like to make everything competitive in this world, apparently. <laughs> well, I mean, the Blazer fans have... do. I mean, because, okay, yeah, yeah. there's no trophy, right? We, there's no, there hasn't been not, a trophy well, here just since. Let us win something. 77, exactly. <laughs> Summer League champions, free agency champion. And you know the funny thing? Okay, I will whisper yeah. this. I will say the quiet part out loud. I think Bill Simmons already kind of said it. This offseason was really good for the Trailblazers. No argument about that. Neil Olshay did great. Great, great, great. Standing ovation. Here's Dave Deckard saying it. Good job. At the same time, for many teams, this is just kind of a a normal offseason. I mean, you know, Robert Covington was a good get. Cantor, go ahead. But that's what I was going to say is it's truthfully like, let's talk about winning the offseason. Because if you look at, I mean, yes, other teams drastically improved. You could make an argument that even the Lakers improved. But the fact of the matter is, nobody made the kind of jump that we did. If you want to say we were the eighth seed, barely, by a thread, up to, you know, a top contender in the West at this point, in my opinion. I mean, I think that tells you that we were the winners. We are the champions of the offseason. I'm just calling it. I think that's fair. I am obviously one with authority to make this call. So Blazers, congratulations. We won something. This would be the second election to be called early. Uh, Maybe hopefully with better results uh, for the person who's doing it this time. Uh, But I mean, the Brooklyn Nets are knocking on the door. I suggest you don't answer. They've got a hardened 2020 uh, t-shirt on, but that's okay. I mean, I, I don't disagree with you. Uh, and I think it says something that even average offseason for Portland, and and let's say that this was above average, let's say that, even a B-plus offseason for most of the league is going to make an outsized difference in Portland. And it's going to make a difference yeah. in two ways. First of all, because they had their strong core three that they did not touch, and they put some really nice players around them and a lot of depth. And the second is... For better or worse, they didn't impact their financial flexibility. In fact, they got better. They got under the luxury tax doing it, which is just brilliant. And also, they retain a fair amount of flexibility. Whether that's good or bad is up to how good these players do. It'll be interesting to see what happens next season because almost every player they got is on a one-year deal or has the option for it. So 2021 may look real different, but 2020 is going to be one heck of a ride. Yeah, well, and I would argue, too, you know, I mean, I've talked about this before, that I get attached 
I am emotionally attached to our team. I hate, I hate this part of the season. I hate when free agency comes up and suddenly I don't know if they're leaving or staying. I hate that. I have anxiety about it. When we, <laughs> when we traded, when we lost Tolliver and Bazemore, I cried. I will admit at one point. When I saw Bazemore in a Kings jersey, I cried. It made me sad. I mean, I wasn't like bawling, but I shed a tear. I get emotional. Even though I knew it was a good move, I get emotionally attached. And so when this season is coming up and I'm looking at our roster and I'm thinking, how on earth are we going to get away with letting go of play? Like, who do we let go of that I'm not going to have a fit about? And the fact of the matter is, even though all the guys we let go of are guys that I, I liked, I'm not upset about any of them, honestly. I, I think it was good moves. I wasn't super attached. And I would say that that's probably true for most of tra- most Trailblazer fans. I think most people were not super attached to any of these guys. So here we are. I think on top of just the game moves that were made, because clearly this made us a stronger team in a lot of ways, I think for Portland fans who we know get attached to their players, I think even that, I think it's acceptable for most people. I think I think you're going to have a good consensus about the guys that they let go. Well, it would be hard not to be, I mean, God bless Mario Hazonia, but yeah. Hey, uh, you know, you know, he was, he, okay, I'll, I'll give him this. It was interesting and in some ways fun to watch him play, but he didn't. And he re- stepped up in the bubble. I mean, you got to give him the bubble. He did better in the bubble. Okay. He, yes, he had a little bubble action going <laughs> on. He, a nice little bubble bath that the Blazers got from him. But in actuality, I mean, that he did not belong in the middle of Portland's rotation. Hassan Whiteside obviously did great statistically, but if you read Blazers Edge at all last year, we were pretty strident in pointing out the the flaw in the plan there and that statistics weren't everything. And um, Trevor Reza did well. But again, he was a veteran and, you know, there were some who were carrying the Rudy Fernandez torch from years ago. And all of these guys were one-year players. And I think that, look, they got one-year players again, but this is a much deeper and I think we'll have more synergy in this group. And it's, it's really a better, deeper team right now. And there's zero argument about that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think these were good moves. I feel like we just need to go through some of these because honestly, like Covington, that was such a huge move right off the bat. And I think it was shocking to, like we said, to Blazer fans who have sat around waiting for for Neil Olshay to do something and waiting till the last minute and thinking he's got to have something up his sleeve and then it comes and it goes and here we are. And he just got right on it. I mean, man, that happened early. And it was a good move. I heard some people arguing that the two picks were too much along with Ariza. But honestly, I mean, Covington is what we needed. We needed a good 3 and D, I think, in my opinion, a wing. I think we needed somebody who, I mean, this is this is a guy that I that I argued for in an article I wrote right before this happened. I think he was perfect. Defense was probably our biggest downfall. He was quoted and I really liked what he said. He said, I take that challenge on guys have specific roles and I'm not a guy that goes out and scores 30 or 40 points a night. I'm a guy that's supposed to stop the people from getting 30 or 40. And that's the kind of guy we need. We need guys with that kind of mindset because we were not stopping people last season. So yeah, you could take picks. We could have picked someone It would have been a rookie. It would have been someone who didn't have experience in the league. It would have been... Uh, kind of a it's a gamble anytime I mean those draft picks are gambles you don't know how they're going to match up especially after this year where they weren't playing you know they didn't have the NCAA tournaments they didn't have the summer league they didn't have all these other things where you're going to get to see these guys like they were kind of coming in blind and so trading away those picks in my opinion for someone who we can see and touch and know is going to do the job was was not a bad, bad, in my opinion, was not a bad call. Yeah, I mean, the cost on the Covington deal boils down to the 2021 draft. Ariza right. was not a huge cost, and he was going to leave after the year anyway. And the Blazers, you know, didn't want to keep him around for that money, likely. Covington is a much better option for that amount. Also, 2020 draft pick, as you saw on draft night, was just, they weren't worth a lot. Okay. Uh, it's not that nobody got a good player. Someone, some good players will come out of this draft, but you just don't know. So 
the right. only measurement of the cost of this will be what happens in 2021. And you know what? If Portland does well and that pick is in, say, the mid-20s, then the cost was nothing for Covington. Now, right. the only objection on the floor, I, I agree with everything you said. The caveat is I think he needs Nurkic and support in the front court in order to make the most of his ability. There was a time a couple years ago when you wondered if Covington was going to be one of those guys. I mean, the guy who could really hit an incredibly high percentage from three, who could guard everywhere, who could start to take over a game in every way except for volume scoring and do it on his own. That hasn't really happened. It didn't happen in Minnesota. It didn't happen in Houston. That's not Robert Covington's fault. But he's also not the guy who's going to step in and Superman it, and that's it. I think as long as Nurkic stays healthy, I think they're good. I think Collins could provide part of that role, but if Collins is in there, then Covington's current lower three-point percentage may begin to tell a little bit. But by the way, they hope that Covington does the same thing that Ariza did. Ariza saw, or shot 35% from range when he was in Sacramento, and then he shot 40% in Portland. They're hoping that will happen with Covington. Yeah. If it doesn't, he needs Nurkic. If he has Nurkic there and there's a solid front line, Covington is going to be an incredibly important centerpiece of that. I just think he's an upgrade. I, I think he's going to be a great piece. Is this is this a thing? Like I don't know if this is just Portland or if this is every team, but is Portland just so badly cursed with injuries that we look at this and think well if nurk stays healthy or does every team do that like is every team looking at their roster thinking well this guy's great if these guys don't go out for the rest of the season or is that just us no i think every team worries <laughs> about injury but look why it's important for portland is because there are subtleties here that don't exist elsewhere i mean look at the lakers you can say if anthony davis is healthy and that's the only bigger duh than that in the whole league is if LeBron is healthy, right? I mean, it's true, super true. obvious that if you lose those guys, that the team is going to radically change. Portland's players, right. a little underrated, especially in Nurkic's case, a little more multi-talented. You don't see it as obviously what he does on defense. And I swear to you that Portland's defensive woes last year weren't just the guards. They also happened at the center position. And Nurkic, Absolutely. it was night and day difference when he dropped out. It's yep. going to be that same yeah. night and day difference, and Cantor isn't going to make up for that, and Covington can't do it by himself. So you say Nurkic and Covington together, that's the magic. And so you yeah. put that little asterisk there. You know, it's it's interesting because I, Cantor said something about how he thinks if Nurk hadn't gotten hurt, we would have won a championship. And then Dame, I don't know if you saw the thing that went out about Dame texting Cantor and saying... Hey, you know what? We're going to go out and we're going to we're going to do this. We're going to win a championship. I think they're looking at this as this is our year and and I honestly think that this is the best team that we've had with Dame. I think this is the strongest, most solid team that we've had and I mean and we went to the Western Conference Finals. I think this team is arguably stronger. I think it's clearly stronger top to bottom than that team. I think that there are some people who would argue that in 2014 and if healthy in 2015, there would have been a, a better chance. There are a lot of people who believe those Nick Batum, Wesley Matthews teams were, and LaMarcus Aldridge, of course, were really set up to make a, a serious run that they never got to make. But I think, yeah. I think this team can approach that level at least and certainly if they stay healthy, exceed what those teams did. And frankly, Dia, I think they have to. There are only yeah. a couple outcomes to this. One is they excel so fantastically that they get a significant number of these people to stay. Okay. And not only that, but yeah. it's patently obvious it's worth paying luxury tax for this team. That's a happy outcome. Right. The other one is they do so-so, but they find one player to keep and they hold on to that player. That's a moderate plus. If they don't do any better with this team, that's a referendum on everything. It's not only going to be a letdown for Lillard and company, it's literally going to be a referendum on the coaching staff, the team construction, the franchise, and everything, because this is it. This is what they were building toward, and it has to work. There's just no way to me. There's no way that this doesn't work better. There's just, there's just no way. I cannot look at this lineup and have any doubt that they're going to do better than last year. And on top of that, I feel like this doesn't get talked about enough. 
But the fact that we made it to the eighth seed and really did as well as we did is quite frankly a miracle looking at the injuries that we had. We were plagued. I mean, we at one point we started Anthony Tolliver as a center. And so to me, to look at this roster, there's no way, and we can revisit this clip later on in the season, at the end of the season, because I stand by the fact that there is no way we go into the playoffs as an eighth seed. There's no way. To me, we are going, we are, we are making a run for it. This is a year that they are attempting to make a run for it. I think it's clear in what the, in the moves that they're making. I think they're making good moves. I think, you know, obviously Covington, I think is a good move. I think bringing Cantor back is a good move. You know, I've said so many times that there's so much to be said about chemistry, team chemistry. And when you make big moves and when you shift and change the roster drastically, you're messing with a team's chemistry. You're pulling guys out that they're used to playing with. You're throwing guys in that they've never played with. And that throws things off. And while I think Portland does a really good job of recovering and, and adjusting fairly quickly, I think adding Cantor, who's played with a lot of these guys before, is huge. I think that's a great move. I think bringing someone in who's familiar with the culture, who's familiar with the team, who knows how they play, that's an advantage. Yeah, that was a huge move. I mean, they got him for a trade exception, so no cost. Again, this Neil Olshay special, right? It's a really yeah. good move considering, as you say, who he knows and who he's played with. And that the team had their greatest recent success with him in a prominent role. He knows what they're shooting for. They're comfortable with him. He'll be great. Cantor, I think, is emblematic of one of the hallmarks of these moves. The only part that makes me a little bit itch is that everybody they got is good at two or three things, Cantor being the archetype of that. I mean, great offensive rebounder, really good offensive player, not a great defensive player. They don't need him to be necessarily but they need somebody to be. They need somebody to be that all-around guy. I think actually Rodney Hood might have the greatest chance of doing that. Now, again, if Covington shoots 40%, we've got uh, from three, we've got no arguments. But Hood, I think, is the closest because A, he was shooting that amazing percentage. B, every single bit of him fit exactly into the offense. And C, Rodney Hood really in the last couple of years picked up his defensive game smartly. He's never going to be a Derek Jones. He's not going to be a Covington, but he filled that role well. And when he came in, you weren't going, Oh my gosh, we're trading something for something else. Hood's a possibility, but he's at a deep position. They really need Covington to be that guy. They really need maybe Jones to be that guy, although he's a long way away from it. Otherwise, I do worry you don't make the leap from eight to two. You don't make the leap from eight to the conference finals by making compromises with every substitution. So we need to see some of these guys step up their all around games. Anyway, Cantor won't be that, but maybe Hood. I mean, how, how much did you like the Hood resigning? I, I love it. Honestly, again, you know, I think especially with Portland, I don't know what it is. I mean, we've talked so much about what Dane does to the guys that are around him and how that works and the chemistry and the culture that's in Portland. Re-signing Hood, I think, is huge. The, again, it goes to that. He fits well. He knows the team. He knows the guys. He's played with them. I think he's one of those guys that people kind of forget about, but it's because he does his job. Like, he does what needs to be done. He gets in there. He gets it done. He's not flashy. He's not some of these bigger names, I guess, if you want to put it that way. But he gets in there and he gets it done. And I think that we need guys like that. We need some of those guys that are going to just be able to do that. And I think Hood is one of those guys. I think he. I think you're right. I think he, he's a well-rounded player. I think we missed his presence when he got hurt. It wasn't someone where it was like he got hurt and that was that. Didn't really matter, whatever. Like, we missed him when he was hurt. And so, to me, re-signing him, I think it was a great move. I'm, I'm happy to see him back. Yeah, and he got a nice raise. The Blazers stayed under the tax, as we keep saying. It was just brilliant yeah. all the way around. Now, he does have an opt-out again, which is fair to him, frankly. And right. if I expect that if he plays the way he did before he was hurt, he's going to make bank, whether that's with the Blazers or someone else, because he's shown a lot in Portland. I mean, think of how his confidence and stock were both a little low. I don't know about personally, but I should say confidence in him was low when he came into this franchise. 
And it yeah. had once upon a time been pretty high. And he was another, I mean, uh, along with Anthony uh, and hopefully along with Covington in a way, along with Cantor, certainly. Uh, and they hope with Jones, too, that Portland becomes known as the great resurrection zone. This is this is the Easter franchise where you go yeah. <laughs> when you're when you're down and out and all of a sudden you look great. And if Portland systems and players can make that happen, that's a huge calling card. By the way, no one's yeah. benefited more than that than Carmelo. How about him? How how do you feel oh when he came? Oh my gosh. I am a huge Carmelo Anthony fan. Huge. I own three jerseys. One is Clyde Drexler. One is Damian Lillard, and the other one is Carmelo Anthony. I love Melo. I think that his story is so cool. It's just such a good redemption story. You know, he he went out of the league and, and no one wanted him, and Portland took him, and he came in, and he just changed how he did things, and I, I love it. I love it. I think he fits so well, and I think the fact that he, not only did he come back to Portland, but he came back for the vet minimum which is just, to me, you know, when he probably, I mean, I know that there are people who are saying, well, they didn't want him anywhere else and whatever. Although I will say, Adrian McCord, who is a reporter, she had posted something saying that he did have offers from other teams and he chose to come to Portland. So, or to stay in Portland. I think it says a lot about him. And and honestly, you know, it was interesting watching, watching social media as all of this was developing, I'm really fascinated by what fans think about what's going on. And everybody was pretty set on, we really want Mello back. You know, even the coach after re-signing him, the thoughts was real happy about it. You know, I, I, I don't know what it is about him. He's played so-so, you know, he has this thing where he comes in and he doesn't really do great, but then he pulls it together at the end. And that's all anybody ever remembers because you know, that's the important part. I feel like he kind of played so-so. He wasn't this huge, crazy, it wasn't anything abnormal. I just like the guy and I feel like he fits well and he's a, you know, he's a solid player. I will say I, when I got the news that he, uh, that he was re-signed, I, I literally jumped up and down on the bed. I was a happy camper. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's nice. I hope your box break is safe. Yeah. So look, there's a ton in what you said. And first of all, I think that this is Grandpa Mellow. You know, the, the parent thing, how, <laughs> how you look at your parents and how they are with your children. And you're like, they didn't do that Grandpa thing with me. That's not the mom right. and dad I remember. And right. I think it's exactly that with Carmelo. He understands where he is, who he is. It's not that he's giving up. He's still going to do this thing to the best of his ability. Right. But it's a kinder, yep. gentler, different focus here. Yesterday, I put up an article about exactly this. And I think Carmelo has huge benefit to the Blazers off the court. First of all, he's the one who put Portland on the map last year. If Damian Lillard was not scoring 50, the only thing anybody ever said about the Blazers was about Carmelo. Okay. He was a single handed publicity magnet for them. And that's huge. It's the inverse of everything Portland, which is usually it's all production and no publicity, right? Also, I think there's a certain sentiment that will coalesce around him that he is a Hall of Famer. He has not gotten the same credit as many of his peers, and rightfully so, because he hasn't won it all. And there will be a push before this is done to win it for Carmelo, right? But the third thing that's just as important and maybe we should whisper this is that it's not going to be that many more years before Damian Lillard is in the same situation. And oh, that hurt. Yeah, I know. But look, when Lillard looks at his future at 35, 36, 37, at least right now, what do you want him to think that I'm going to find a happy home here, that this is a franchise that makes the most out of everybody. And this is a really good place to be. And when we see Carmelo Anthony, a superstar, prospering in Portland, we also see hope for not just other contemporary stars, but uh, Portland's future stars to believe that there's reason to stick around here. Yeah, I agree. And we kind of touched on this last last week, but there's something about Portland. And, and, you know, one of the things that I kept seeing time after time after time when I was looking through all the posts and news and things about all these moves that we've made is 
is they're coming home. You know, Mellow, Mellow's coming home. Hood's coming home. Cantor's coming home. Harry Giles, okay. even, even with him, we drafted him. I know he immediately turned around and went to Sacramento, but we technically we drafted him. Outside of that, a lot of these guys end up coming back to Portland when their time is up. When they're done playing in the NBA, players have been known to move back and settle down in Portland. And I think that, you know, Cantor said that he got a, a text message from uh, the, is it the congressman, the mayor, somebody, some, somebody from Oregon, um, almost immediately after he was picked up. And, you know, he was saying how it's home. And I, you hear that over and over and over. These guys are welcomed with open arms in Portland. And I think it really is this culture of, of coming home. There's a loyalty there. There's just something about it where they just, they keep coming back. And I, I love that. And I think it makes it fun to be a fan. You know, yeah, you can you can be a Laker fan. Absolutely. But, you know, I mean, and, and not to say that there aren't exceptions. Obviously, there are players who stayed in, in, in their market for years for their entire career. But, but I feel like we see long stretches and, and loyalty in the Blazers that we don't see other places. You see a lot of turnover in places like LA. As much as we give Olshay a hard time about not making moves, there's the flip side of that where we get to keep these guys. And, and there's something kind of nice about that. That's funny how the culture develops around the cap too, because 2016 and 2020 were the two years where they had some space to make moves. And when we didn't have space to make a ton, there were fewer. Uh, funny how that works. But I think that yeah. you're right that the Blazers do a really good job of capitalizing on that. And I think it starts with Lillard and McCollum, who are two stars who could very much be prima donnas and very much aren't, at least yep. to public consumption and from what their teammates have said. And I think that's a fantastic yeah. quality to have in a small market like Portland. And it's one that I think now that we get to turnover and stuff, let's get to the last couple of players acquired, Derek Jones Jr. and Harry Giles. Giles, Giles, I don't know. We'll figure it out as soon as they say it. I'm pretty we, sure. Yeah, we, we probably need to learn that now that he's on our team. Well, you know what? I mean, they're lucky as I keep making the joke <laughs> on Twitter that we're not just calling him that guy from One Direction. Uh, so it's like, oh, no. Well, I mean, it's Harry Giles, Harry Styles. <laughs> you know, if Mike Rice were still here, that would be happening all the time. Oh man, that's it. Okay. Here are two players again on short-term contracts, but these are the two prospects, right? Yeah. These are the guys who, above all, they're, they're going to give something this year, okay? But above all, these are the guys you look to fit with Anthony Simons, if you believe in him, uh, with Gary Trent right. Jr., if you believe in him. There are also some subtle... Wait a second. Wait a second. Yeah. Can we just back the train up here? If... Sure. Have you seen Gary Trent Jr.? Yeah. Let's... I've let's... It's it. There is no if with that man. We need to keep him. Okay, I, I moving on. I didn't say I didn't believe in him. I didn't <laughs> testify. But uh, yeah, in addition to the win now mentality, there were a couple subtle things that are like, okay, there's also a later to this. You don't expect Jones and Giles to do a ton this year. I mean, they will. They will play. But you don't expect them yeah. to be the difference makers. If they are, that's a huge bonus, okay? But you're looking right. and you say, I want them to go from step B in their career to step C. And if they get right. there, I'm going to have a better idea of who they are, of what they can do, and tell if I can invest in them to play in the front court alongside a couple of players that um, you know the front office might think is pretty brilliant. And that's actually, that's a fine, fine move. That's that's a better thing, I think, than getting, for this team anyway, a couple more crusty veterans. Now, you can argue a little bit about whether Jones would be better than some other MLEs that signed. I mean, if you had the chance to get Serge Ibaka, we can argue about that. If you have a chance to get, I forget his name, who went to Denver, but was a really good, I had him tabbed and now I'm blanking, but... Look, we'll we'll compare him to other MLEs and see if he would have made a difference. But if you if you consider the long term future, this was actually a pretty good move. And I think it behooves the Blazers to say, okay, even if we fall on our faces, there's something here to hold on to. Yeah, well, and I think it gives us depth. Both of these guys are gonna contribute. They're not gonna just sit there and do nothing. You know, you've got 
Jones, who's insanely athletic, he's got some bounce. He also plays good defense. He's not maybe the best shooter, but he he plays good defense. <laughs> and I think yeah, that's that's polite. I like that. That's that's underside. <laughs> he his offense is is a work in progress. I would rather pull in somebody right now whose offense is a work in progress, but who plays solid defense than the other way around. Because we've got guys that are the other way around, and we need to counterbalance that a little bit. And so, you know, you've got this guy that you put him in there with Covington, and you're going to have solid defense. That's going to be fun to watch. I think it adds depth for us. I think, you know, you would watch our starters go out there and play solid, solid basketball, and then we'd pull the bench out, and, and it was just like they struggled. And it's not that they – I mean, I truly believe that the guys on our bench included, we had some good, solid, raw talent, but they're young. And they're not quite there yet. And so I think, you know, you put those guys in against some of these guys that are, I mean, we're talking about the Lakers last year as, as in the, in the bubble, you know, you, you pull our bench out against theirs and it's just, it's, it's just unmatched. You can't, it's just not going to, it's not going to, we're not going to swing it. And, and so then we would lose the momentum that we had with our starters. And I think you add guys like, Harry Giles and and Jones and and Covington. I mean Covington. Obviously, I think is probably going to start. You put you know you put Mello on the bench, which has been rumored to be happening. And and you you got you got these guys that now are going to add so much depth to our bench. You put them with Ant and with Gary Trent Jr. and like you're you're going to have a fairly solid bench, in my opinion, at least a, a large step up from where we were. I think if we can improve that second string, if we can improve those guys that are coming in off the bench and keep them from giving up a lead or or from letting the other team's lead get bigger, you know, that that's that's crucial. It's it's important. We can have the best, most solid starting five in in the NBA, but if our bench is struggling, it's not gonna be enough. And so I think having those guys and adding that depth there, that's gonna be huge. So look. Up till now, the Blazers have fallen into two categories, either good in most every situation or good in no situations. And the gulf between the two ends of the roster in that way was pretty clear, right? That it's, it's yeah. not that you dislike the guys coming in. It's not that they couldn't contribute, but you're not looking at them and going, hey, yeah, this is the exact right situation for them. Instead, you're going, okay, give me five minutes and don't blow it so the guys who are actually good can come back in, right? Right. Now you've got multi-position players, at least somewhat multi-talented, at least the door's open there. Like you don't lose everything or everything but one thing when the player comes in. That's a huge deal. Uh, you've got players who can play shooting guard and small forward. You've got players who can play small forward or power forward. You've got at least one who can play power forward or center, really two, Collins and Giles. So you've got some options there, and you can kind of fold in a layered approach to where, look, when you bring somebody in, it folds in not just by position, but with the strengths and weaknesses of everybody else who's playing and also your game situation and the opponent's strengths and weaknesses that should give Terry Stotts and company a lot more leeway to yeah. game plan and to actually come up with something that can be adjusted as opposed to, again, people used to complain, ah, halftime adjustment stops is terrible and whatever. The dude's one of the best or has historically been one of the best in the league at after timeout possessions. Okay. He's not dumb. He can actually strategize right. really well for one possession. The problem is the Blazers butts were out hanging in the wind when you got to more than one possession with a lot of these bench guys. That's not going yeah. to happen anymore. No, agreed. And and honestly, like, I'm just going to say with COVID going on and, and so many things unknown and them not being in an actual bubble this time, I think that depth is more important. That versatility and these players being able to play more than one position is more important than ever. Because all it takes is one and all that. Yeah. Yeah. All it takes is one of our guys getting COVID and not being able to play. I mean, you talk about injury and obviously that's an issue, but I don't think that's probably as likely to happen with all of this as, as getting COVID. I mean, if one of these guys gets COVID that, that can 
throw off our entire rotation. So I think I think having that depth and having that versatility in the players where they can go back and forth and adjust and place in different positions. You know, that was one of the things that Jones said in in his media availability is that he's comfortable playing the three, the four, or a two, and and he's open to whatever Stotts wants him to play. And I think you know having guys that can do that, that can that can switch, shift around if we need him to, even if it's not necessarily their ideal position. I think that's going to be crucial this year, especially more than more than ever. And hopefully that doesn't touch us and we don't have an issue with it. You know, obviously the bubble worked brilliantly. We didn't have any issues. Nobody did. But this is just unknown. And we're in uncharted territory here with COVID the way that they're going about it this year. And there's no guarantee with people being, you know, with the players still being living their lives and being out in the normal world that they won't be exposed to that. And so I think that just having that is, is, is huge. It's, I think that's a big deal, especially coming from last season where we, we really did not have that. Well, and yeah, and we could talk a whole nother show about that probably. And unfortunately, it's likely that if one player contracts it, then the whole team will be quarantined. But I mean, I think your point in general is well taken. Look, here's the dream. You got Lillard with the ball. You got McCollum, uh, you know, on the diagonal on at the three-point line on the weak side. Uh, you've got Covington over in the corner, and you've got Nurkic in the middle, either coming to set a screen or kind of high post or mid post there. And then you've got Jones ready to backdoor cut or streak in from the wings once the play develops so that he either gets the lob for a dunk or gets the offensive rebound and jams it down. I mean, that alone, that combination alone should make Portland Trailblazers fans tingle. And there has not yeah. been potential like that since the Aldridge elbow offense and everybody else shoots threes and then there's Dame. That's the last time yeah. we had anything comparable. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, honestly, like I, I, I keep mentioning, you know, that I cry, but like, honestly, like I've, I've cried over this more than once because I'm so excited. Like, I love to see this. And I think not only that, I think it shows, you know, there's been so much talk amongst fans about the fact that Dame is, you know, he's, he's 30. This is his, he's in his prime. Like we gotta, we gotta make a run for it while we've got him and give this a shot and i think for blazer fans right now it's incredibly exciting to see moves like this because it tells us that you know the franchise sees that as well that they want to make a run for it as well they're not going to just sit on their hands and and hope that you know we have another decent season where we're entertained you know it, it looks to me by these moves like they're trying to make a run at that championship and and i think that's exciting i think it's it's exciting to see that like hey, they're taking this seriously and, and they want this too. Well, yeah. And again, they were able to do this while lowering their bill. So that mixes in there. I mean, right. th they did incredibly. So look, do they want to make a run? Yes. Do they want to get less expensive? Yes. They did both, which is the ideal thing. The, again, the crunch time on that will come next season where the question is, let's say they get the fourth seed and get to the second round. Is that enough to go deep in the tax to keep this team? Eh, that will be decision time about what kind of run we're making. We don't actually know the answer to that yet. But again, you hope that the Blazers obliviate that question by getting to the conference finals or knock on wood, getting to the NBA finals and making it obvious to everybody. That is the goal now. Right. And there are no alternate goals that are going to suffice. It's win. Or it's go home. And that's it. And that makes this terribly exciting. But we should say before we go, though, there are two players we haven't talked about. The One is the last one of the magnificent seven that they they got, which is uh, C.J. Ellaby out of Washington State, who is their 14th player yeah. right now and likely, likely the last they will sign. And if they are a magnificent seven, he is the seventh acquisition or re-signing right he would be i don't know if you ever seen the magnificent seven but he would be that kid who who came into town and was looking for gunfighters and was going um i think i want that one but i don't know exactly what i'm doing yet and uh it will be interesting to see if he uh turns into anything i don't know if you have any impressions on him but i mean second round pick roster spot Basically, the Blazers were taking a flyer. I think it, I think if he gives anything at all at any time in the future, that will be 
I'm not exactly surprising, but let's just say well done. Yeah, you know, I, I think, again, the draft this year was just such a crapshoot. You just didn't know. I mean, there's there's so many factors that go into deciding who they're going to pick and all those things that, that just weren't there this year. And I think that that makes it really, for everyone, a crapshoot, but especially that far in in the second round, like, who knows? Who knows? I don't really know enough about him to make uh, much of an educated comment on it. I just, I think, you know, Brooke will be happy because she went there. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> That's about all I've got. Pullman's I, a great I really place. don't know. I used I, to I live right by there. Pullman's yeah. a fine place. I mean, yeah. and I think probably the goal would be that he falls into that Gary Trent Jr. or Rodney Hood mold where he's hardworking, puts his nose to the grindstone, is able to shoot well and gets after it on defense. And if he can do any yeah. of those things, more power to him. He'll be a practice player this year. The other guy we haven't talked about, though, and the guy who really got pinched here, I think, is Zach Collins. And of course, he's coming off an injury. So we don't know yep. exactly precisely when he will be ready to play. But look at what happened. I think they were saying, Go ahead. I think that they have said that I think that they've said they're predicting January. I think that's what I read. Yeah, that even that was speculative. And I'm not sure that came directly right. from the Trailblazers. But uh, I don't know. Maybe you do. That said, okay, look what happened to his position. You have Covington, who plays both forward positions, but probably is really more of a power forward at this point. And he is proven. And uh, you saw Terry Stotts giddy with glee uh, during Covington's press conference, even came within six feet to hug him (laughs) on camera. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so you have that, right? You have Carmelo re-signing. You have Giles, yeah. who's a prospect, but has played minutes in Sacramento. He is not untried. He is used right. to playing big minutes, right? And then if you slide Collins to backup center, which I think is a legitimate possibility and maybe his better position, now you have Cantor there who, okay, I can see arguments for playing Collins over Cantor, but... Cantor is going to try to make sure that that does not happen. And Cantor is going to give you reasons to believe. So look, does this mean that Collins' development or minutes are kind of cut back and delayed for another year? Does this mean the Blazers are going to try to trade him or someone? Or does this mean that the Zach Collins experiment is quietly, I don't know, going on the back burner and winding down? I don't think it's very seriously the third. But this is not a fantastic development for a guy whom they really kind of banked on to be not just a starter, I think, but a good starter and a really good young player. Yeah, yeah Zach, for, yeah, that, that came from Olshay, just for the record. He said he'd be ready, okay. I think, second or third week Very in good. January. But, but that, you know, I mean, things change, too. You just never know. I think Zach is one of those guys that when he's hot, he's hot. but He's not always. <laughs> and I think he he has so much potential there. I, again, you know, you're going to hear me talking about this all the time. He fits well with the chemistry and culture. But I I don't know. I, you, you make some good points. It'll be interesting to see where that goes. If, if I'm Zach, I'm, I'm maybe a little nervous about what my role is going to be coming up, especially coming off an injury, especially with these new guys that they've that they've pulled in. I, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. And this is not a bad thing because, look, frankly, he's had some cushion. He's had cushion of youth. He's also had cushion of not many players behind him, right? Yeah. It's it's not necessarily bad for a a player in Zach's position. And by the way, I do not think that you've seen the best of Zach Collins. I think there is probably it's probably accurate that there's more in the in the trunk there that needs to be unpacked. Agreed. Some pressure to do that at this point would not be amiss. One might argue, and I I don't think, I think it's a different situation, but Myers Leonard had a really, really weird development cycle, okay? There was a lot of minutes, and then there was a little minutes, there was roles at center, there was roles at power forward, and then in each place, it seemed like he was kind of drifting to wherever the, the open place was on the roster and the open place was on the floor, and just kind of do that. And he never 
really got to where he defined himself and fought and claimed a position that nobody else could take. Now, I don't know that Myers had the skill set or talent to do that, but I think they think Zach does. And if he does, now's the time. I mean, obviously you get some leeway coming off injury or whatever, but this roster, you're not going to be given minutes carve out your place. And I'm interested to see if he can do that or what happens to him, uh, his confidence and his minutes uh, as he does come back. Yeah, I just think it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be interesting to watch. You know, you've got so many different things working here, even with even things like Mello coming off the bench. Have we ever seen that regularly? No, we haven't. You know, that's a, that's a different thing. I just think it's going to be an interesting season of everybody kind of shifting and adjusting and figuring out where they belong and what role they play. I think if they can shift and adjust and figure it out and find their roles and be okay with their roles, we've got a solid shot here. But I, I but it's going to take everybody being okay with their roles. And I, I don't know how that's going to go. I, I have hope that it goes well because I think, again, the, the culture there is is such where they do that well. But we'll see. We'll see. I think they're going to be all right, frankly. I think if Mello comes off the bench, watch for something like McCollum sliding over to the point, Trent Jr. at off guard, and Rodney Hood at small forward, which gives you kind of a three-guard yeah. lineup. All of them can handle a little bit. you got no problems there. But then you've got Carmelo, and you kind of let him post, ISO post, and then you got Cantor. And now, this is not a strong defensive lineup in the front court. I get it. But look at look at what happens on offense. You give the ball to Mello. You let him make some yeah. decisions about how to score or who to pass to. And Cantor mops up the offensive rebounds off of everybody. And I think that, you know, look, you don't want to start that lineup. You don't want to go 40 minutes with that lineup. But you know that bench hole that you were talking about where it's like you, yep. you get the bench come yep. in and it disappears? This, this team or that lineup could score uh, enough to keep even at least. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think... I think actually Carmelo would be fine with that. I don't think it's for him. It's going to end up being whether he starts or not. It's how many touches he gets and what role he gets to play in the offense. And I think frankly, that is there for him right now. Yeah, I man, that makes me, I just, that makes me almost giddy. This is going to be, if nothing else, an exciting team to root for. I think they're going to be fun to watch. I think after watching the season we just watched with all the injuries and lack of defense, this is going to be fun. I think it's going to be a breath of fresh air for Portland fans who have, you know, stuck it out and struggled through the season as well. I just think it's going to be fun. I am really excited about this. I'm excited to see these new guys and how they fit in. I'm excited. I love defense. I know that the flash in basketball is the offense, but I love defense. I love watching Gary Trent Jr. grab that ball and take off. I love watching the other team turn it over. I just, I love it. I love defense in basketball and we haven't had a ton of that. And I think it's going to be so much fun to get to see that, that in play. I I'm, I'm man. You're I gonna, can't wait. Can we just start? Can we start? Can we start now? You're going to be just, adding a just, Derek Jones jr. Jersey to your, uh, to your collection. I'm going <laughs> to be adding what, all the jerseys. You know, all you the want, I'll, I'll give you the Dia lineup. Dia wants, uh, Damian Lillard, uh, Trent jr. Yep. Derek Jones. Yep. Robert Covington yep. and Yusuf Nurkic. Yep. That's 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 the lineup that you want out there. Like you got Damon Nurk running the pick and roll, everybody else playing oh. off him on the offense. But then you've got four really good defenders Man. out there with Damian Lillard. And that's that's gonna be we christen that the Dia Miller lineup. Let's see uh how often it happens. Yeah, that would be, oh man. There are so many different lineups that I want to see from this. That I, I mean, I just, there are so many different ways that you could play that. I just get so excited thinking about all the different ways and, and watching all the different, I, I'm going to be, this is, this is, I'm, I'm excited. I'm so excited. And we're excited to have all of you with us as well. Uh, as we wrap up here, we should make two confessions. First of all, we're aware that there have been little audio glitches uh, during this first one, a little bit of buzzing and whatever. It's completely my fault. I've actually been ill. I've tested negative for COVID, but something is going on. So I moved all the podcast stuff out of its professional setting and into my home, which means home internet. Stick with us. I promise that that will not continue. In fact, we'll probably have it fixed up next week. I hope it wasn't too distracting. It's just a 
little thing. We want to be as professional as possible. The other thing is that you can trust that D and I are going to talk about more than just technical basketball and lineups and stuff and the stuff that everybody else is talking about. It's just this week that wasn't going to happen. I didn't even get to talk about how excited I was that one time, once we drafted Clyde Drexler and yeah, I know. Well, Arvidas Sabonis. Yeah, we're going to get to that. That's uh, we'll, we'll pick that up next time. We were actually going to talk about best off seasons in Blazers history. Forget it. I guess for today, this was it. So, we thank you for being yeah. with us. Anything else you Anything else you want to wrap up with, Dia? I think you you hit the nail on the head. That's the saying, right? Hit the nail. Hit the nail on the head. Hit the ham. Hit. Yeah. I don't know. I may have hit a few screwdrivers it? while we were doing this. I'm not sure. But I think I think you I think you you are right on about that. You know, I am not someone who who does technical. I know the game, I know the players, but I I'm not going to know percentages. I'm not going to be able to throw that stuff out there. And the truth of the matter is, if I like them, I'm going to pull for them even if they have a terrible game. You know, I think this is exciting stuff to see happening and I think just you got to talk about it. You got to talk about these moves. This is this is exciting. And I will tell you, folks, now I've had the privilege to work with Dia for a couple months now, usually writing. You will not believe her voice or her takes. Um, and, and they're good. They're not like outlandish. They're they're good. And I know I haven't done this podcast thing for quite a while. Last time I did it regularly, it was with Dan Morang, who, of course, does our other podcast and does NBC Northwest stuff and brilliant talent. And Danny and I used to come off the top turnbuckle you know, on each other every once in a while. And that was great. Stick around. You are going to see Adia grab Dave by the earlobe and drag him <laughs> off behind the woodshed at some point. And she has the talent and the voice to do it. Uh, so yeah, you, you're not going to want to miss this. And we hope that you will join us throughout the season. We will be here every week on Thursdays and we hope that your Thanksgiving is blessed and that the weeks following into the holiday season are safe for you. That if you're in isolation or lonely or whatever, we are here. The Blazers are here. We'll talk about them. You have something to hold on to. And as Dia said, this is going to be one heck of a fun season together until next time uh, for Dia Miller. I'm Dave Deckard, and we will see you again very soon. This has been Dave and Dia, a Blazer's Edge production. Find more basketball talk at blazersedge.com. Watch your step as you exit, and we hope to see you again soon. Dave and Dia, what is that? A Swedish skin cream company?